0: Maybe we can go ahead, Pastor. I've been hesitating here for a moment, but um, you, instead of us coming up and having our prayer partners come, I actually planned to do that as well at the end of the service, and I just felt the Lord saying that some of you need a breakthrough, and you may not even realize it yet, but you need a breakthrough, whether in your relationships or, or yourself. And I just feel certain that maybe it's one or two or all of us. I would say it's all of us. But your breakthrough could be as simple as you being willing to call out out loud to the Lord. Some of us need to hear us proclaim from our own voices. Let our own ears hear our own voices. Proclaim out loud in a public environment like this what we need from the Lord. It's so easy to keep things internal. You remember last week? the message we talked about, our relationship with the Lord was never meant to be a private one. A personal one, yes, never meant to be private. It was always meant to be a public one. There's no example in Scripture of us having a private relationship with God, only a public one. And so I want us to sing this again, and uh, I'm going to challenge you to be bold enough to just call out from your own voice. It may be shaky at first, it may be weak, but some of us need to hear with our own ears, hear our own heart. Proclaim what we need from the Lord. that we, What we want from Him. Even if it's just saying, Lord, I want more of You. We need that. Let's sing that again. Thank you, Ken and worship team for leading us into worship. That was an incredible time of worship. If you have not become familiar yet, if you're not getting a bulletin, if you'll get one of those each time. I'm getting better and better about getting... Uh, Miss Joe, my sermon notes, on time for her to get them in, at least some little helps. There's uh, on this week, uh, it may be different each week, but this week you have some fill in the blank and some things if, you, if you'd like to, to keep notes. Um, I, I believe if you're not doing that over the course of the next few weeks, I would really challenge you to do this because uh, the subject that we've been on about community is not just vital for this church, but the, the whole church, the body of Christ worldwide, um, If you remember this sermon series we've been on on the last three weeks, including today, has been When the Crowd Becomes a Church, a message that was preached by Brian Jarrett that he was so gracious to let me utilize. Um, But Again, when we're talking about community, I'm getting, this is going to be a very, very short recap at the beginning, but just for those of you who may have not been here, when we're talking about community today, we're not talking about our neighborhoods or our places where we live, our communities, but rather we are talking about the meaningful building of deep connections, of meaningful relationships, real friendships, spiritually formational relationships. Even though the preaching is important, um, if some churches have uh, Sunday school, no matter what the program is, men's and women's Bible study, yes, they're all good, uh, they're great, but we we primarily believers are discipled and reached, new believers are brought into the kingdom uh, through relationships, just like our relationship with Christ, it's through relationships he uh, puts others in our path to have relationships with. So as we grow as a church body, as uh, you look around in this first service, you know, keep in mind, there's a time at New Song when this was uh, probably about the numbers we'd have for everybody. And now we're seeing, you know, this service about like this, and then the next service will be similar, sometimes a little more. There's some Sundays where uh, it won't take too much longer till we'll fill both services. And that's why we've uh, officially moved into uh, seeking after a building project and starting that. but. But when you're in a relationship, when you're in a community with smaller groups of people, you can start catching uh, the times that people start to stray in the body of Christ long before it gets too far. But when a church is just a crowd, and that doesn't mean whether it's 1,000, 10,000, 100 people, it can be a crowd if there's not intentional um, activity to become a community, then you have people that can stray 400 miles away from their relationship with Christ before anybody catches it and they're long gone, and then someone says, you know, I hadn't seen so-and-so in a few months. How do you keep that kind of relationship in a growing church? There are some things that we have to do as people, things we have to value as people, to value as a church if we want to be all that God calls us to be. And you see, this is the one reason why relationships are so broken in our world. So, you know, those that don't believe that there's a God, they don't believe that in church, they don't believe in in religion or whatever they want to say, you know, they'll go seek community somewhere. And they think they found it, but here's the problem. The power of the Word of God is the only thing that compels us to have healthy relationships continually and forever. Relationships always tend to break down when God is absent because of the fact that we are not In our sinful nature, we are not apt to just be a community. It's much easier to be a crowd, keep relationships on the surface. It's a lot easier for people to hurt you, to take advantage of you, to treat you poorly, when there is no real spiritual motivation for them to have a deeper relationship with you. It's easier to be selfish, have your own time, have your own things, have your own space, and keep people at bay, right? Only let the facade be that they are one of your close friends. In our lives, and our relationships in the church, in order to spur one another towards love and good deeds, which we read from Scripture last week, we need to be genuinely known. You'll remember that was the first thing that we need to do. Genuinely known. The second is lovingly supported and honestly challenged. But who is your community? Not your crowd, but your community. Who are those people? So we get in today on, on the second... One of those. The next action we'll discover from this study is, in order to be all that Jesus has asked us to be personally and to be as a church, we need to be lovingly supported. You need to be lovingly supported. Christianity is not a solo, solo sport where some uh, where some issues I have to dealing with or areas I need to grow in, um, you know, where we need to handle that on our own. But rather, we need to be lovingly supported. Because God did not design us to live in isolation. You know, um, Jennifer and I are wired differently in the type of things we like to watch. Um, What's that one, Abby, whatever? Downtown Abby. Whatever that is. (laughs) Or, or, you know, when we go to visit her mom, and it'd be lifetime for women. And, you know, those things crack me up because they go so long. They stretch those things out so long that I'm I'm afraid one of these times somebody that dies in the beginning of the movie, they'll forget and bring them back at the end. I mean, they just stretch the story out so long. But I just like, I like crime stories. I told her, I said, if God had not called me into ministry or kept me in, in the military, le- more than likely, I would be a crime scene investigator. I just, I'm fascinated with forensic science and those type of things. Now, for her, that's a very dark world. I really think To me, it's just death is part of life. People are evil. They will do evil things. And that's after the fact, you know, I didn't kill them. You know, I'm not <laughs> wanting them dead, you know. I'm not wanting them dead. I wish they were alive, you know. Um, if God moves on me to pray for them and them to rise up from that mess, you know, I would. But, but I kind of like to be the one to figure out okay, who done it? I love the game Clue. <laughs> but, but let me tell you something. In watching that, I also like to watch, you know, because after the fact, then someone's found and then they're in prison and you hear their stories. And, and then I watch these stories about people who are in prison. And the one thing that they do for punishment is. Isolation tanks, right? The hole. Puts you in long enough away from any other interaction with people, and, and it's a punishment. Now, how can that be a punishment for some guy who is maybe a murderer, who is anything else, who hates the world, but you put him in somewhere where he can't be mean to people even, and all of a sudden he feels punished, right? You'd think somebody who is so evil and hates people would want to still be, you know, would want to be away from them if he's going to kill. Gonna that. Not true. He, he simply is broken in a way that he doesn't know how to have healthy relationships, and the enemy gets a foothold, and then it ter- turns into something much more evil, much darker. And you see, a lot of us may play off this whole topic about community in the church and think that we are skating by because we're just busy or our schedule's different or somehow we're different. Let me tell you something. Story after story I've heard of these young men are people who have much, much of them have been raised in church. And why didn't it impact them? Why did it, well, they got an imbalance, Pastor teacher. Well, maybe so, but let me tell you something. The church might could have recognized that if there had been more than just surface relationships, if had been more than a crowd, but it had been a community. You know, some of these things, you're not going to kick them on your own. Some of these things were never meant to be faced on our own. In a culture of fine, if you remember my example of saying I'm fine, we are carrying these things alone that we were never meant to carry ourselves. How are you today? Fine doesn't mean anything other than I see you. Let me show you this passage of Scripture as I begin to read it. And I want to point this out to you. If I don't point it out to you, even as Pastor Brian said in his message, we tend to walk right over the Scripture and never catch something very important about this Scripture. If you want to turn in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. It's towards the end of your book. Galatians chapter 6, uh, 2 through 5. This is Paul speaking to the Galatians. I know I hardly ever do this. I'm going to read from the international, New International Version because of the, the wording here. Uh, is gonna, uh, we're going to be able to do a little more play off the words. But, but carry each other's burdens. Now notice that Paul is telling us to carry someone else's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ, it says. In other words, you will fulfill the law of Christ if you carry someone else's burdens. And then here, listen to this. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without uh, comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Wait a minute. Did anybody catch this? You told me the way I fulfilled the law of Christ in verse 2 was to carry each other's burdens, and then you signed off on this passage by telling me to carry my own weight or carry my own load. I mean, which one is it? On the surface, it seems to contradict itself, but bearing one another's burdens, here, are you telling me to bear everyone's burdens or are you telling me to buck up and carry my own load? Which is it? Well, if you read the original language, which Paul would have written in the Greek, it sheds a little better light on it. In our modern English Bibles, we lose something in translation. In verse 2, the Greek word for burden, when he says, carry others' burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ, the word for burdens there is translated heavy load. And then when you get to verse 5, when he says, everyone carry your own load, the word translated there for load is very different in the English for, bur- than, uh, for burden. The word translated load is light load. So we have heavy load, burdens, and then light load. See, the word translated load is light load, but, but so to think in a sense of uh, carrying a backpack. Okay, so... Um, I've had uh, good backpacks and bad backpacks. I've had one that was not meant for hiking, and Jen will tell you if I go on any trip, even packing a suitcase, I always overpack. It's just I always think, oh, I might need that. Oh, I might need that. Going on a trip, you know, close to winter. Oh, we could get snowed in. I'll take a whole bunch of extra clothes in case I'm there for a month. You know, I mean, I overpack. But recently I was given an actual official hiking backpack that has the framework for your back to support it. It's amazing what that framework will do to help you carry a heavy load. But even with that design, even with a design specifically for a heavier load, when we when we see this in this context, in verse two, the Greek word for burden, he says, carry others' burdens and therefore fulfill the, li- li- uh, the law of Christ. And it's translated heavy load there. And then later we see uh, the other is translated light load. Paul is saying, don't be needy. In other words, you don't know, carry carry your own load. Carry your own stuff. But in the same sense, when that load becomes too heavy for one person, when it becomes overbearing, when it's too much, you are never meant to carry it alone. That's why he's placed others in your life. Carry your load. It's, a, it's saying when that backpack gets heavier than a backpack was supposed to be, and the load is more than the load the backpack was designed for, then we are, are, are in a relationship with other people, in the body of Christ to be able to carry it together. That's what the body of Christ is for. Carry each other's heavy loads. He say, don't be a leech. Don't expect everybody to do everything for you. Don't look to someone else every time you have a, a simple need that you can carry yourself. Don't, don't leech off of other people in the body. But when it gets too much for one person to carry, when that is overbearing, when it's more than you were designed to carry, then you lean on each other. But sadly, we live in a culture that desires to be anonymous so badly that we don't look for help and carry a load until we've broken under the burden of it. You see, that's why we read about ministers who who ha- have moral failures in ministry, is because they set themselves up in such a place where 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 nobody knows what's going on with them. They're not being real with anybody because they've got to present this facade that I'm above all that, and they don't have any kind of accountability to where when they get in trouble, they keep it quiet, and Satan just tears them apart because they've put themselves in the hole. And I've joked about how I wear everything on my sleeve. People have poked fun at me for that. But I'll tell you, back at my time, I talked about it at CBC when I had to leave, shamefully leave because of sin in my life, Bible college. I promised myself then I would never walk around people saying everything's fine and it's not. My wife will tell you that even as of recent, I said, you know, I need to get some deeper connection with people. I need a certain type of people to be accountable to. I can't have, um, you know, I've met people who are, are professional counselors, but I would snow them in a minute because I know why they're asking what they're asking. I need people who are willing to get deep in enough with me. They can look in my eyes and they can call me out when I'm trying to fool them. Because As a kid, I've explained this before, as a preacher's kid, you learn to fake it. When people are being mean to your parents or being mean in the church, you have to smile and fake it. And uh, sadly enough, I let sin in my life make myself a manipulator in that sense. To manipulate people in thinking everything is okay with me when it's not. So I have to guard myself that that doesn't happen again. I have to be careful that I don't put myself in a position where I can snow people again. There has to be someone in my life that genuinely knows me, uh, will lovingly support me. And finally, I've got to be in that kind of relationship where I can be honestly challenged. Because if they're not going to honestly challenge me, and there's no confrontation, then I can continue on in my sin. Not just challenged from a stage where I get motivated, inspired, uh, from someone to challenge me, such as preaching like I'm doing now. You know, this is needed to inspire us, to challenge us. But this isn't where the rubber meets the road in our relationships right here. It's what we do when we leave here. You know, several times I've challenged people, do not leave here without making a connection with someone today. And I'm going to do it again at the end of the message to where I'm going to keep challenging you. Do not leave this place until you have set a date and a time to meet with someone in the church. Just one. Your time's busy. It's, everything's busy. Don't set it out for a month from now. You're going to make it easy on yourself. Set up for a month now. Enough will happen. We'll be able to cancel it, you know. I'll just wait till then and say, well, man, you know, what's happened? You need someone where they'll say to you, like they would to me, Pastor CJ, you were short with Jennifer right there. And, and that's not, I'm not telling you that because you're a pastor. It's because you're supposed to be a man of God and a Christ follower. And that's not the way you treat your wife. Pastor CJ, don't treat your kids that way. Don't humiliate them in public. If you're going to discipline them, get them off the side. But don't, don't just uh, humiliate them in front of people. You're setting them up for shame and embarrassment and to, and to learn to hide the things that they do. I mean, I need somebody, if I, I fall off like that, that will challenge me. The, the kind of honest challenge that comes from people who really know me, people that I've given permission in my life to, to face to face my life with me, and to challenge me. And it's not going to be everybody. I won't give some people permission to do that in my life because I have to respect them in their walk. And, and I'm, I'm sorry to put it that way, but sometimes I, I, I have problems if I re- can't respect that person in the way they conduct their life. It's not where I want to head. It's not the way I want to do my life. I, I see their life as actually things I've done before, and I don't want to go there. I have to find people that I say, you are... are are a champion, it seems, in areas I want to go. I need to go. I know that those are my weaknesses. I need your help. And here is what I have to understand. Confession isn't just for Catholics. Listen, in the Catholic tradition, they go to a priest and they confess their sin and he absolves their sin. In the Protestant tradition, we go to God directly and say, Father God, will you forgive me? But in the Bible, we are told to do both go to God and go to others. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. You, you know, and here's, here's where I have to step lightly because you've also heard uh, on some of the hyper faith movements where they tell, you know, apparently we're using you're not healed, you've got sin in your life. You don't have enough faith, you have sin in your life. But there is a basis and a case for the fact that sometimes our prayers aren't answered because we are coddling sin and hanging on to it and we're confessing it to no one. God would like to bless our lives. He'd like to bring a miraculous healing in our lives. He'd like to bring mental, physical healing into our lives. But we continue to bring sin in our life, which, what is the nature of sin? What is the nature of the enemy? To kill, steal, and destroy? We're bringing bringing death destruction and danger into our lives, willingly and coddling it. This concept of confessing our sin to one another was, was easier back in the day when there was small churches. There was no mobility. You couldn't run and hide, so you had to be real. And today it's easier to fake it than it is to be honestly challenged. And I'm going to tell you, I, uh, this thing, again, with social media, I'm, I'm at the same time I'm heavily engaged with it. And I feel like using it for ministry my own my own enjoyment to uh, put things out for my family, that people who love us do it. At the same time, I realize that there is a constant danger of us disconnecting socially from those close to us and becoming electronic relationships that are just surface. Oh, we will preach our heart out about topics we're passionate about on social media, but we won't take five minutes to sit down and speak into the life of our child. Listen, I don't share my sins with everyone. There's a group of people, as I said, in my life that when I'm struggling with something, I can talk to them safely. And, and the key word here is safely. One of them is Pastor Jonathan uh, from uh, the Bella Vista Church. Because he's the kind of guy that he says whatever's on his mind, whether sometimes good or bad pastor. I mean, I wish I could get away with the things he says sometimes, but uh, but... I just have the sense that I'm not going to scare him if I told him, said, hey, I'm really struggling spiritually about something. I'm not going to scare him. And he's my presbyter now, which makes him greater. So he has the authority to, you know, set me out of the pulpit for a while if he had to. And there's a group of people in my life that when I'm struggling, it's it's I can talk to them safely. And the key word is safely. You know, when you have a safe zone of relationships, then those re- and those relationships you're in where you're known, you're trusted, and you're supported – that's a safe zone. And when you are in that kind of relationship where God has forgiven you, but you still are dealing with the shame of what you've done before, when you walk in a relationship with those people, it removes the shame. I've been in a situation, much the, the example I was giving about Bible college, where I had gone to somebody in the school, an official, and said, look, I've got this going on in my life. I need accountability. And you know, I always wonder how much more shame I would have felt if I would not done that. Because what transpired after that, little did anybody know, but when it did come to light to more people, I knew at least I'd stepped out and I'd talked to someone. And that gave me, I, I often wonder, I said, because, you know, I've never been angry at the, the person that caused me to leave school. I've never been angry at the school. I understood. And I believe that God, because because I had followed that step, God protect me from being shameful and reacting badly to that situation. See, the total the, the thing is that we have to understand that when we walk in those relationships, it removes the shame because shame is one of Satan's greatest tools in our lives. It's it's called in the Scripture, Satan is called in the Scripture the accuser of the brethren. And Jesus is called our advocate with the Father. They are totally opposite. One le- pleads our case, the other accuses us. One is a prosecuting attorney and the other is a defense lawyer. And Jesus is on our side. I, You know, Isaac is off camping this weekend and so he he sends his love, but he can't be here. But, you know, I thought about that in meeting with Isaac's public defender. You know, this isn't any judgment call on her, but you know, the common... Thought is the public defenders. Um, they call them public pretenders because they're they're being paid by the, the state, right, or the county to to defend that person. And so it's not the same as someone walking in as a customer and laying down ten grand to a uh, an attorney to represent them. And I thought about how frustrating that is to have not have the resources to go get the best counsel, and to be putting your life in front of that judge, knowing that you don't have full confidence in your your counsel. But you see, Jesus is the perfect advocate for us because he knows every truth. He doesn't have to go out and search for the evidence. He doesn't have to go out and look for the story. He knows your story. He's been there before you began. And so he knows every bit of it. And so he is your advocate. And he is the best advocate you can have. And the enemy, even after God, has forgiven us eternally and wiped our slate clean. Our names are in the Lamb's book of life. We are on our way to heaven. There are a lot of believers though in this situation they are living in shame because the enemy is the accuser of the brethren and they continue to let him do it. Why? Because they stay anonymous. They don't reach out. They, they don't just carry their own light load. They try to take the heavy load too. Something they are never meant to carry on their own. See, I can know theologically that I'm forgiven. I can know that, uh, I mean, I can quote 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and all unrighteousness. I, I can know that fact. I can come to this altar. I can kneel by my bed. I can ask God to forgive me. And I can know theologically God has forgiven me. But that doesn't always deal with my shame. Because in the back of my mind, I'm always asking this question. If you really knew me, would you still love me? You know, insecurities as a pastor, many times it's that question in the back of my mind. If you really knew me, would you still love me? Would you still want me as your pastor? Some of you sit in this, in these chairs and say, but pastor, if I build those deep relationships, if they really get to know me, will they still love me? And it's that shame of, of, of knowing who we've been before. And, and not standing on the fact that we've been forgiven and not let Jesus stand as our advocate and leave the dead man in the grave and let that water baptism stand as a symbol that that is done and gone with. And so we keep asking that question in the back of our heads. I, I mean, I can know that God still loves me even, even if he knows me, he still loves me. But my shame comes to this reality. If you knew what God knew, would you still love me? If you knew what God knew, would you still accept me? And because i'm afraid you might you know because i'm afraid of that you you might um, see me back off from relationships you might see me shelter myself or push back when they get too close i can be forgiven by god and still live a life condemned in shame because i'm afraid if you knew what god knew you wouldn't want me now i'm not telling you to let everything out of your closet And let it be known by everybody. I'm telling you, when you find a safe zone of a relationship where you can take take theologically what is true, that you've been forgiven, you can walk in that relationship with a group of people who know everything about you that God knows, and they still love you, accept you. And it's that moment where you understand what it is to be free of shame. You know, when we say, if we, the truth will set us free, We say that, but do we live it? Sometimes we just need to be honest with someone who we trust in that trust zone to say this is really who I am. This is what I've been dealing with. And the load that's lifted. Someone knows and they can help me. But the forgiveness of God all of a sudden has flesh on it. In those situations. And these people know about me. And what I hide from everybody else they know. And they still love me. And those kinds of relationships remove the shame. But that doesn't happen in a crowd. That only happens in a community. In a real church. We can make a massive impact. Even as a smaller church. You know in our mindset. Whatever big church is to you. If this is a smaller church. We can still make a huge impact as we grow. And reach a larger and larger congregation size. We will accomplish things that never could have happened when we were smaller. And especially in a new building, in a bigger building, more, a new location, more people. But we have to be diligent to find a way of retaining some of the things from the old neighborhood before the days of mobility. We have to realize that if God blesses us with a new building, more people, a bigger church, that that's not going to be the cure-all to our problems. Praise God, we got more people. You know, the the... The guy that uh, I've talked about that helped us with the limo, Chris Moore, that I'm, I'm mentoring, and he's in, we talked about this. I said he, he was all excited and wanted to go out and reach lost people. And why isn't our church doing this? And why isn't our church doing this? And I asked him, what will you do with them when you got them? That's all good, but are you spending any efforts to set up the kind of structure and the people and get the people motivated to disciple them? Because you'll get them in there. You'll get them excited. You'll motivate them. You'll inspire them to change their lives. The Holy Spirit will reach in and convict them, and they will be saved. But then after that, if they move into a crowd, they'll be lost again. If no discipleship happens, they'll fade away. They'll be 400 miles away from a relationship with God, and no one will have noticed. It's happened here. I don't mean to, to, to hurt anybody's feelings, but we've done it here. That's why our men's and women's Bible study, our youth group, our college and career, our children's church matters so much. I could say this, and some will still write it off as it's not important for them, or things are more important, or they just don't have time. But you know what? If you're not doing it here and you're not doing it somewhere else, then I'm talking straight to you that you are intentionally, intentionally stunning your spiritual growth. You're keeping relationships on the surface. Oh, I have family, I have this and that. Listen, you either have to decide, you have to decide one thing. Did God plant me in this body? Is new song where God wants me to be a part of a body or not? Once you answer that, if it is yes, if you say he's not moved me somewhere else, then painfully, I know for some, the next thing you have to answer then is, what is my role here? And this is exactly what we're covering. It's to be a community. No one is meant to be here Anonymous. So now you're confronted with the fact that now you have to take action. And that's by my, my next week where the following, and the following weeks, we're going to be following the same message by Pastor Brian that he preached after this sermon. I've taken one of his sermons, made a three-part, and now we're going to go continue on. And the reason is because when I listen to these, he, you, he couldn't have said it any better than what God had been put in my heart of what we need to have happen here. I'm not as eloquent as he is, but the truth of God's Word is still the truth of God's Word. I'm hoping we'll eventually do small group models. They've already moved on to that. You know, men's and women's Bible study for me, that was always supposed to be the precursor to develop our our small groups. But we need people who are willing to be mature leaders of that. What I mean by that is you're willing to open up your home or open up a place and lead it, and you're willing to protect the ministry that you don't let it be a gossip group or become something else, but you let it be something that grows people spiritually. But it's going to take people stepping up and saying, I am willing to go further than I'm comfortable because I believe that we need to become a community and my job is to be a part of that. We're going to take a journey through the one another's of Scripture of how God designed us to live in a community, community, to walk together, to be in relationship. And why? Because worship is better together. Fellowship is better together. Outreach is better together. And missions is better together. And why Because life is just all around better together. I'm teaching you a word. From the Word of God. And I'm asking you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Not for Pastor CJ or to do it for me, but to do it because the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart now. That these words are ringing true in your, in your spirit. And you're saying, yes, this is what I'm missing. Yes, this is when I go looking for a church. This is what I'm hoping to find. It doesn't happen on accident, it doesn't happen without people engaging and doing it themselves. Those churches you go to that have the wonderful programs, it seems like the great, the great atmosphere. Guess what? It didn't happen on accident. And what I'm saying is, is rather than just transplant yourself where you can just kind of filter in and just receive some of that but never really engage, be an entrepreneur. God planted entrepreneurs in New Song. He gave gave us the people who secretly have an entrepreneurial heart. It's just they're, they're explored in other ways. They're less fulfilling and getting frustrated. Boy, I'd always like to start that business. Oh, I'd always like to do this. I'd always like to start this. But you know what? When God fires you up and you learn that you're changing lives eternally, with that entrepreneurial gift you've been given, you'll finally find that fulfillment. And you'll be able to walk into that job you're doing now and be like, ah, I'm okay with this. It's paying the bills so I can do God's work. This isn't a, um, an action response to suit my ego. This is a spiritual response. What is the Spirit of God saying to you about growing spiritually? What is the Spirit of God saying to you about connecting in relationships at something outside of normal service times? so that we can become the person that God has intended us to be. Now, I can make you a promise, and I'm going to real quick, our in closing, our closing time here, I'm going to make you a promise that, that um, whoever your leader is, whether it's me or a small group leader or Bible study, they're not going to be perfect. And guess what? The people that you're in there with are not going to be perfect. And I can tell you this, I'll promise you this, you will be too busy. Every time God puts something in your life, It's going to take an investment. You're going to be too busy. I understand those excuses because I've used them. I'm too busy to lead a smaller group ministry. I'm too busy to get get into a smaller group ministry. I can tell you this. You make time for what is valuable to you. And if through the word you, you sense the Holy Spirit is calling you to do more, I need more than motivation and inspiration on Sunday and to be lost in a crowd in a sea of Being anonymous people, I need to grow. And I need to grow where I am genuinely known, lovingly supported, and honestly challenged. And listen, this is important to me because I want us to grow as a church. But I don't want to become a crowd. And I don't want to see us end up being a whole group of anonymous people. I don't want to be a pastor of that. I need it in my own life. And some of us need to realize that when we lay our head down at night and we're wishing we could find in maybe in our, our marriage relationship or maybe we're looking for a marriage relationship or our friends or our family, and, and maybe it doesn't seem like brokenness, but it's just not the depth that we want. Listen, the Word of God is the answer. And what we're talking about here, God has already given us the mechanism, the organization, the institution to see relationships truly grow and deepen. I love the idea of thousands of people calling New Song their home because the grace of God is to transform their life. I daydream a lot about God just exploding this ministry, not for my glory, not for me, but to see him do what he intended to do all along. But it takes us being willing and being obedient. The Spirit has empowered us but I don't want to be at a place where anonymous people can come sit and stay stagnant in their walk with God. The only way bigger can keep coming, becoming a crowd, become, keep from becoming a crowd, is to intentionally become smaller in relationship. And see, this is why so many dysfunctional smaller churches stay small. The us four no more, is because they haven't figured out that there is a way to keep growing in people and to to continue to keep reproducing those close relationships in small community environments. You can be 10,000 people and have tons of communities in that one organization and God can do it. What did they do when they added uh, thousands to their numbers daily in Jesus' time? Do you think Jesus just handed them an invitation card? They came, they filled out a visitor card and then that was it? Do you think the disciples did that or did they, they get the church going? What did Paul do? What was he even doing from prison writing letters to keep the church trying to grow healthily? In relationship. Ken, if you'd come. Listen, if you, if you feel you attract all the fruits, nuts, and flakes, it may because be because God's trying to grow you. You want to know a little secret about me, and this may make you not like me? I get annoyed pretty easy. But God is working on me to get over myself. And I have started to recognize that he is not going to put a bunch of CJs in CJ's life. (laughs) I'm looking at my wife because I pray and pray for her to protect her heart. Because I'm telling you, ministry is hard. People can be vicious and not even realize they're doing it. People can be harsh. They can be unloving. They can even just say things without thinking that they never would have thought that it hurt you. Maybe they don't know and it's not their fault. But listen, if we keep the walls up, if we don't let her defense us down. You know, there's been times when Jennifer is like, I just want to respond to something, you know, and, I, and she does it for me too. And I'm like, we, we challenge each other. Babe, I wouldn't do that. Who's that benefiting? Is it benefiting you or the other person? No benefits satan because he gets a foothold and she has to turn around and do the same thing for me it's not that i'm i may be a spiritual leader but we have to challenge each other we have to honestly challenge each other we have to learn to love and deal with everybody their idiosyncrasies their, and laugh together cry together I, I long for the time we're just laughing so much because the joy of the lord inhabits this place always no matter where this group is at Listen, I've been in the small groups where there's that one socially backwards person who just dominates the conversation. I mean, this dude just will not quit and nobody else gets a chance to talk. It's like it's as if the group was formed for him. It looks more like an intervention than it does a small group. But you know what? God placed you in that group to be with that socially awkward person because you need it. You need it to grow you. You need that person in your life talked about removing all the obstacles how billy graham would call ahead at his hotels and have removed the tv so there's not even a chance to watch something he shouldn't so i'm telling you if your kids are rambunctious and you haven't got a handle on your home yet if you need to invest in a babysitter for a night so you can get together another family and not run them off do it hey i'm just being honest some of us don't discipline our kids enough sometimes or in the right situations we didn't learn or we don't know and sometimes that can be advice that keeps people from getting together because they're tearing somebody's home apart while you're trying to talk. If you're embarrassed of your home, meet somewhere else. It's okay. Not all of us are blessed with a nice place. You know, um, Jen and I, were in a small place where we could have one family at a time because nobody would even want to walk down our drive. It's so steep. When you got to go walk people down your drive arm in arm, protect your guests. How do you want me to connect, Pastor? How do you want me to do it? Make it all that you can And not just be there, but engage with people. Don't leave today without setting a time and a place to meet with someone. Don't do it, because if you do, this will just be another sermon. We'll move on to other topics, and you'll let this time when the Holy Spirit is dealing with you pass and go. And you'll stay stagnant in the same place you were before. We're going to keep working to offer more opportunities for people to grow together. We're going to keep working at that. It. It's a lot of work for those involved, let me tell you. I would, it would be easy for me to just say, I'm preaching, that's it. Everything else you guys want to get together, do it, you know? But if we don't have people doing it, I'm going to keep engaging until we get people. My own sister challenged me lately. Says, said, seems like you guys just have so much going on, like you planned so much. And I said, that's easy for you to say. Your church has two wings of classrooms. Anything we do, we've got to spread it through the whole week, you know? We don't have the space to, to just do everything at one time. But listen, all those things, we can still just be a crowd. Let's keep being a church, a community, not just a crowd. We can keep up with programs, but it, it, until it's owned, until you own it, until you say, I, I value it. It's valuable to me. I will make it valuable to me. I will make time, and I will discover the value in it. You may not find it the first time you go to women's Bible study or men's Bible study. But if you keep persisting and you go with the intention, I'm here to be a part of a community, to build relationships, spiritually formational, intentional relationships. God will bless it and your life will grow both personally and spiritually and your body of Christ. You'll be part of that entrepreneurial Holy Spirit moment where this church grows because lives are being changed, not just because people are coming in and being being entertained. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we ask right now the Holy Spirit would convict our hearts this is not a a sermon that can go without the conviction of the holy spirit because this is going to move us this is going to move us and shift us from something that's very comfortable to something that's uncomfortable and lord we need it we need it in our lives holy spirit just speak to the hearts now if i could have any members of our prayer team come forward These folks that are coming forward, you may not know them. You may not even know their name. It depends on whether you've got to uh, spend time with them. So you may not be able to lay it all out to them in accordance with what we just learned from, from the message. But, but I'm going to challenge you. If you've got a need in your life physically, maybe something happened at your job, something's happened in your home, and your family, for you take the first step now. This is as much as we can do right now in, in the big group setting. But take advantage of it. You can at least go up and say, will you pray with me? Whether you can tell them everything or not, pray with me. Take that opportunity. Don't let it pass by. We're just going to take a few moments of this time at the altar. I'm going to trust that we all allow the Holy Spirit to continue to to move on us, that we will take those steps um, to build those relationships. I love you all. Um, Remember, uh, check your bulletin for the things that are coming up. And have a wonderful Sunday. I'll see you Wednesday night at at 6.30 for another great time of community. Amen. Love y'all.